Good morning. I'm glad to be with you this morning, and we're going to uh, be worshiping over that text in John chapter 12 for 30 or so minutes. I did want to take a brief moment just to introduce myself and my wife, Diana. We've been married right about three months, and uh, we're not young people, but uh, we both lost our spouses to disease. And uh, Pastor Gary, uh, down in the church uh, just south of Rockford, uh, said, you need to call Diana. And uh, we kind of laughed about that. And several months later, he said, well, did you call Diana? And, uh, you know, guys kind of laugh about that. And uh, finally, I did. And boy, I was glad I did. But uh, Diana had just been married uh, just a few years, a few, uh, <laughs> few months now. Uh, yes, I do uh, meet Ken. Uh, Pastor Ken and I met during seminary years. Uh, I, had a, I moved up to Trinity and had a, a math professor and a, uh, a university professor uh, call me and say, uh, we want to start a church. Can you help us? And I said, I, I know absolutely nothing about starting churches. And they said, neither do we. But, so we started a church. That's how it often works, isn't it? And then Ken came into that church while he was in seminary, so we got to be friends. I did leave there and then moved to Sycamore, Illinois, uh, where I, again, helped start a church and was there for 27 years. I uh, had a friend by the name of Al who left his pastoral ministry and uh, joined Reach Global, the mission, to start training pastors overseas. And so I asked Al, so Al, how are you going to do that? And he goes, I don't know. And I thought... That's how a lot of good things start. <laughs> we don't know how to do it. We just decide to believe God and, and keep moving forward. Uh, and then about that same time, Pastor Tracy, who many of you know, was over at Mount Morris. Uh, Tracy had been an elder in my church for five years in Sycamore and became pastor over there in Mount Morris. He uh, resigned to go train pastors in uh, Zambia. So I have two friends. Uh, both have resigned their pastorates to go train pastors. And I thought, well, how come I'm feeling like I'm falling behind here? But that, their faith encouraged me to begin to consider how God could, might use me. And so eventually I joined Al and, and we started a group called Pathways within uh, an arm of the mission called uh, Global Equipping. At that point, there was three of us, Al and I training pastors to study for the intent and preach the intent of the scripture, another pastor who came in to help train in leadership issues all over the world. Now there's about 50 different people in that global equipping arm of the mission, and there's seven of us who train pastors uh, to study and preach the intent of the word. I uh, have turned 71 and decided I wouldn't travel anymore but uh, had been going to a, a country that's closed, uh, spent a couple of years there, then COVID hit, and uh, it really messed up that mission. But we eventually finished training that group online, and uh, now there's a group that wants to bring pastors out of that closed country to Malaysia, uh, where we'll train them. They want to go back and train 100,000 pastors. And I said, I'm in. <laughs> I got to help do that. So uh, in July, we're going to be starting that new training mission, uh, which will last three years. So that's kind of what I've done. Maybe that doesn't tell you much about who I am. But, uh, and then Ken and Tracy both 
mentioned your church to me, and I'm glad to be with you this morning. Well, let me tell you about John chapter 12 here for a moment. I've, I've spent a lot of time in John 13 through 17, the upper room. I love that section of the Bible, and I've read it over and over again, and I often spend some time every couple of years meditating over what Jesus did and that last night with his disciples and how he prayed for them and all the important things he told us about his values and what we could value and his hopes for us. And once last year, as I was thinking about that again, I thought, well, how did the apostle set that time up? And I went back and opened my Bible and I read this paragraph that our brother just read a minute ago in John chapter 12, beginning with verse 44. And that's when I saw the line in the sand. I think Jesus drew a line in the sand in John chapter 12. He basically said, you need to believe. Now that's a simple idea, right? Believe. But I decided to go back in John and just track with what the apostle was trying to set up there. And so that leads me to my first point this morning, to simply believe in Jesus. Now that doesn't seem like a profound idea, unless you believe, (laughs) and then it's profound. I met Rob after a service one Sunday in my church. Rob was dressed dressed, uh, very plainly, and well, he he had kind of a, uh, he had dirty long johns on, is what he had. And, And John was an old guy who had a pickup truck with a trailer, and he pulled a tractor on that trailer, and he would take jobs with the county or the city, cleaning up after the, the road crews. So he'd be the guy who would smooth the ground and plant new grass and things like that. And he worked on a contract basis. And he was a committed alcoholic who had destroyed his life. And the second time I met him after a service, he said, my children don't know me, and I don't blame them. If I was them, I wouldn't want to know me. So I learned he was a humble man, too. But he had a drinking problem. And uh, through a long chain of events, through something in our church, he started attending. And uh, I decided to try something with John. I hadn't before. But Matthias Media, and I know that you have some materials I've noticed in, on your website. And one of them comes out of Matthias Media, uh, a group of Australia one quarter of 1% of the people in Sydney, Australia, go to church. One quarter of 1%. So they work a lot with how do we help people come to Christ. One of their ideas is to read the Gospel of Mark with people. And you read it two chapters a week. And they have a few questions. I decided to try this with Rob. And I took another guy, too, in my church, who I knew didn't read well. And we started reading once a week. We met at 6 in the morning would read two chapters of Mark and just talk about what was happening there. What does the author want us to understand? And you know, as as Rob read this, and he wasn't a good reader, but as he read it, I remember one day with his eyes kind of shining, said, I think I understand. I think I understand what's going on here. And then he would start stopping me after church on service, and he would always ask a pointed question about understanding what the text said. 
And you know, we watched Rob come to Christ in, in that time as he read through the Gospel of Mark. And you know, believing's a simple idea until you start believing. <laughs> and then it's profound because you're believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we want to think about more about that believing as we look at John 12 and what's coming before. I don't usually do this, but I have a whole chain of texts. I just want to walk through you, through, through with you because uh, it's not so important how often a word occurs in the, in the Bible. I mean, uh, well, well, there's a word like propitiation. It occurs eight times, but it's a very important word. So how many times a word occurs isn't so important. It's just what's the intent of that word in the text. And John repeats the word believing over and over and over again, leading up to chapter 13. And let me say this is before we begin to walk through that some. Right there in the beginning of John, beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. John doesn't waste any time, does he? I mean, he goes, boom, here it is in John chapter 1. First 12 verses or so on this introduction. And it immediately forces the brain to begin to imagine something that a person might not have ever thought about before. Okay, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what was God. And you have to begin to imagine some things before you can believe them. But as you walk through John, I think John's helping prepare the mind of the reader to say, yes, this is not only believable, I want it to be true. (laughs) I like what I'm hearing, and I need this to be true, and I believe. John chapter 1, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And John, there's part of that introduction, says, look, believing is important. In chapter 2, Jesus turns water to wine, and it says his disciples believed in him. And yet we can also ask, as we read through here, he said, destroy this temple, in three days I'll raise it up. But he also says in chapter 2.22, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed past tense. So in other words, and what we know from reading the other Gospels, they didn't understand this. <laughs> when Jesus is talking about tearing down this temple and you tear this one down, my body, I'll raise it up. They're going, they're going like, what is he talking about? And they didn't understand. 2.23, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them. So, what ha- what's happening in these early chapters? It's possible to believe and not believe. It's possible to believe but not understand the full focus of what you need to believe. So they believed to an extent, but Jesus knew he could not entrust himself to them because they did not understand. He knew what was in their heart. No, I'm skipping John 3.16. I know this is a terrible thing to do, but I'm kind of uh, hoping you know that verse. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting 
life. And we believe. But here's John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Believing is paramount, both in the words of John the Baptist in the early chapters, as well as in the words of Jesus. It's of paramount, supreme importance to believe. Chapter 4, verse 50, before that, he tells the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, the water I give to you will spring up into eternal life. Well, there's imagination again. The mind has to be active and think, whoa, what, how does that work? How do you get a well of eternal life springing up? Verse 21, he says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. True worships, those who truly worship will worship the Father in spirit and in, in truth. But he said, woman, believe me. There's the point. Now, this was a long conversation uh, in terms of what we usually have in conversations. Jesus had a long conversation with this lady in terms of how we look at conversations in the Bible. And then he says, believe me. Believing is of supreme importance. John chapter 4, verse 50. Official son lays dying. Go, your son shall live. The man believed. It says, in fact, he believed twice. Moving on to John chapter 5, 46. For if you believed Moses, Jesus said, you would believe me. For he wrote of me, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And this is one of the ways Jesus called attention to his own authority, by calling God his father and saying, you need to believe me. And in fact, in that chapter, they realized he was making himself out to be equal with God, the text says in John chapter Five. John chapter 6, he's fed the 5,000, he's walked on water, he talks about being the bread of life, and then there are some of you who do not believe. And they were struggling, they were struggling with what Jesus said, you need to eat this flesh and drink my blood. So they believe, but they don't believe. They're still struggling with Exactly what do they believe? I'm going to skip to John chapter 7 there. They wanted to arrest Jesus in Jerusalem. Verse 31, yet many of the people believe in him. And they said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than what this man does? So they believe, but exactly what is it that they're believing in? Certainly in the signs that he does. John 8, the atmosphere is overheating. There's conflict with the rulers, scribes, Pharisees. Verse 46 and 7, which of you convicts me of sin if I tell you the truth? Why do you not believe me? And then he goes on to compare again his words are greater than Abraham's, which completely floors them that he would claim to be greater than Abraham. John chapter 11, I'm skipping here to the death of Lazarus. Lazarus has died. For your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Jesus says the point is that you may, that you may believe. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. 
<laughs> this is just amazing. And he says, I did this so that you would believe. Now, we know that disciples, the 12 and wider group of disciples, are just wrestling with these words. They're believing, but not quite yet. Do they believe what they need to believe? They're believing, but they're not quite there. We see Peter in Matthew 16. This is the great example, verse 22. What's Peter do? He takes Jesus aside. It says this word. He rebukes Jesus. <laughs> Peter take, and, and, and Jesus has said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the rock upon which he's going to build his church now takes him aside and says, why are you talking about dying? <laughs> he's believing, but not quite believing what he needs, all that he needs to believe. I think John keeps unfolding this for us for us, so that we can see the choice that needs to be made. John chapter 20, verse 31 is really often seen as the theme of the book of John. These things I've written to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Theme of the verse of the book of John. Believe that you may have life in his name. I have a friend that uh, actually when I was a college student and the, the lady that I married after college, Johanna, uh, led Marine to Christ, helped her come to Christ. And uh, Marine ended up going into campus ministry and, and married a guy. They were, on, they were at Purdue for over 40 years uh, doing evangelism and discipleship. They, they just retired recently. But uh, I just love talking to them because they were always sharing Christ with students. And then, you know, COVID hit, and that was a big mess on campuses. And how do you meet with people and classes aren't in session? It was just, it was, you know, that whole thing's a zoo. And so uh, she gets a lead on this young lady who wants to talk to somebody. And so she calls her up. And uh, this, late, this young freshman wants to talk some more. And so they start Zooming, doing Zoom calls together. And this young lady had, in high school, she went to three different churches without her mother and father taking her because she wanted to know, how do you relate to God? And she went to three different churches, but never got it. She's kind of believing, but not believing. Until someone on a Zoom call walked her through the gospel and said, you know, this is how you can cross the line. This is how you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and have life in his name. So yeah, that's what I want to do. <laughs> Why didn't somebody tell me how to do this? And she went on later and is, is growing in her faith. So we find, <clears throat> as we read through the gospel of John, we need to believe in Jesus, and we believe in Jesus for life. <clears throat> this life has some different aspects to it. <clears throat> it has an eternal quality, <clears throat> and it has a spiritual, a spiritual flourishing nature.
When you turn 71, you last about 10 minutes. There's There's an eternal nature to this life, which is very apparent. But there's also a, very, uh, there's a spiritual flourishing nature to it that I think is there in the book of John as well as in uh, other Gospels, especially the Sermon on the Mount, which we won't go into today. But believe in Jesus for life. And we find in the last verse of our main text, I know that, this, that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say, as the Father has told me. But this life which he offers has an eternal quality to it. Let me just give you a few other texts about this. Believing is obviously a special word in John. Also, the word life is repeated a lot, as is light. Uh, Life and light are uh, a big theme in John. John 1, 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Now, we say, well, they're they're already alive. So it must be more than just they're alive. They have a new quality of life. That new quality of life will be, have an eternal sense, as well as a, a flourishing spiritual nature sense. John 6:33 It is the spirit who gives life the flesh is no help at all the words that i have spoken to you are spirit and life that's John 6:33 So we know that this new order of life that we're believing in has a has a new quality the thief comes only to steal steal and kill and destroy John 10:10 10, 10. i came that they may have life and may have it abundantly there's that new order of life. 14.6 is famous. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's certainly much more than a person's alive. Nobody has life that has an eternal quality, a transcendent eternal quality, and there's a spiritual nourishing flavor to it. And then 1 John 5.12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This life has an eternal quality. Now, the, the idea of, of an endless life is something that we see in Christ. But with God himself, endless, uh, eternal, past, future, is as much a part of the nature of God as we might just think of like carbon as on earth, which is the most plentiful uh, thing there is on the planet, carbon. Well, with God, well, of course it's eternal or he wouldn't be God. You know, it's just the nature of God. And if Jesus is God, then it's going to have an eternal quality to this life that he offers. And it's essential really, to live life alive today on the planet. To know that you can have life that is everlasting. Now, Dan and I were at a, a, a funeral yesterday. Lena was th- 88 years old when she passed away. And there at the funeral, there was a line of children and grandchildren who wanted to talk about Nina. 
you know, from up front and just tell stories about Nina and her love for God, her faith, and her love for them. And I thought it was just a beautiful time. And, you know, I was sitting there thinking, you know, I hope somebody says something like that about me someday. You know, it's just a beautiful heritage of, yes, she had life, a whole new order of life, and she shared it with people, a generous life, and a life that her children and her grandchildren could inherit from her as well as they had faith like she had. And so part of the nature of that life is a hope. If you have this kind of quality of new quality of life and it's transcendent in nature, meaning that you live alive, you are alive, but now you have life that is above the normal sphere of experience. It's transcendent in nature. You have a new order of life, and part of that is you're filled with hope. You have hope that goes beyond what you can see. And so as you look at your friends in in the church, you have hope for them. Or you look at a neighbor, you think, yeah, I, I, I want them to have hope too. I want them to have this, this new order of life as well that, that you're experiencing. While there's this eternal quality to life that we know in him, it also has a, a spiritual flourishing nature. Now, I think we see that in many parts of the Bible, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus kind of Right, puts down for them in that sermon that is, is fairly long there in Matthew, what this new order of life can look like in our values, in that spiritual flourishing nature. But this life is not an ethereal idea. It's a spiritual flourishing nature built on a relationship with God and Christ and a life that participates with Christ and how he would teach you how to live. And he wants to do that. He wants to teach you and me how to live. So entering that life means entering, entering into the whole style of the overflowing life of Christ and what he has for you and me. There's that present experience of life with him And there's also then the not yet part of that life, which is through all eternity. So I believe Nina has light and glory today in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, for 88 years she gave herself, and now she looks in the eyes of Jesus. And light and glory, and the great hope that she has and that we have with Christ. So this life is a disturbing movement. It certainly challenges lives of the disciples in the book of John. It does us as well. We find that this life will make enemies in the book of John. People will come against them, and there'll be those who would want to restrain life here. It invites a radical reaction. I think Jesus there in John 12 is drawing a line in the sand. Are you going to believe? Believe. And then come in to that last supper. Even then, he challenges them further. But this life, 
with Christ is a life that is guaranteed success because it's Christ's life. Who's going to stop him? (laughs) It's guaranteed success. No, I don't mean I'm going to get rich or I'm going to be get straight A's in school or anything else. Not that kind of success. But it's a life with Christ succeeds, period. And you can walk with God all through life and into eternity. So in that sense, it's kind of like the kingdom. You need to repent and believe and treasure this life with God, with Christ, as he invites us to believe. You know, uh, recently, Diane and I saw this uh, movie, uh, The Jesus Revolution. Uh, anybody see that yet? Oh, I really enjoyed that movie. And in fact, uh, we had some popcorn and I had a napkin. I needed about three more because I was crying through the first half of the movie. You know, it depicts there what was happening late 60s, early 70s as uh, uh, there was a generation, I was a freshman in college in 1970, fall of 1970, and all the strife and problems. uh, Remember the university bombings? I remember it. Not many of you can remember this probably, but in the late 60s, and, you know, we were bombing students. Students for a Democratic Society, SDS, SDS, yeah. They were, you know, they bombed a building in Madison and killed a couple of graduate students. But, uh, oh man, the strife that was going on in our culture. And then uh, young people started coming to Christ. Uh, Jesus people kind of things. Well, And that movie kind of goes through that, uh, some of that. But there's a scene in the movie that I'm, trying to get to here. And this pastor's opened up his church to this Jesus people kind of thing. And so he's got maybe a dozen people over here. Everybody's dressed, suits and ties. And then he's got the church filled with people over here. Long hair, half of them don't have shoes on, all the rest. And so I can't build all the tension here, but a couple of people over here get up and walk out. And there's an old guy who gets up with them. And he's kind of bent over a little bit. And he's trying to choose, what am I, what's going on? Who, what do I believe in? How does all this work out in reality, this Christianity thing? And he's standing there in the, in the center. And then he chooses to sit down with the Jesus people who would receive it. They were all cheering. <laughs> but there was that moment there that, that I felt some happiness there. And I remember it, it was uh, 1971, and uh, a guy had been sharing Christ with me in 1970 and trying to get me to cross the line, and, and I did. And believed, and, and now I was going to this Baptist church, and I'd asked the pastor if we could, they had two empty houses that they really bought to tear them down and turn them into a parking lot. And I said, can we have one of those houses on Friday night? And what, Brad, what are you going to do? Just share Christ with people? Well, why are they going to come? To hear about Christ. We packed that house out every Friday night. We had no program. 
I had no idea what I was doing. There was about three of us, and we just went from room to room sharing the four spiritual laws. Remember that booklet? And, and trying to help people come to Christ. I met John, and uh, somebody had brought John to the house. And, and uh, I said, well, John, do you want to hear about Christ? And he wouldn't say anything. And the girl that brought him said, yes, he does. <laughs> That's all the encouragement I needed. So we started walking through things, and John would not respond. He was just all downcast, depressed. Well, then I started getting the story. John had been engaged and got in a wreck with a train. And he walked away, and his fiance was dead in the, in the car. And, you know, he made a mistake. We had pretty good reason to be depressed, right? And so we walked through the gospel, and, and that night he trusted Christ. Well, there were people there that did that, and I never saw him again. I did see John a couple more times. And three years later, I'm in a small town in central Illinois, walking down the sidewalk. And John and I walk right up to each other. <laughs> and we recognize each other. And John's following Christ. In fact, he's engaged to be married. And he's moving to Wisconsin, of all places. And, and he's going to work with children. And I thought, you know, Lord, it worked. You changed John's life. You gave him life. And one day he crossed the line and he came into life with Christ and Jesus changed him. So believe in Jesus for life with his saving authority. I know I've talked all around our key text today, but let's take a, a look at John chapter 12. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. So Jesus is going to draw the line. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. Now, this is a huge sentence. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me, made himself out equal with God the Father. I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If you believe, you come out of darkness into light. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I don't judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day. And the basis of that statement is verse 49. For I've not spoken on my own authority, but the Father has sent me, he, the Father who has sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say, as the fathers has told me. Well, he says, believe in me. Believe in me. And believe in the one who sent me. I've come in the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness, lying in the sand. Jesus' scope of mission here in verses 47 and 48 is what? It's the world. He says, I've come to save the world. <laughs> That's not a small claim, rather large claim. 
I came to save the world. And yet we know there's people right in front of him who are still trying to figure out what it is to believe in him. Some believe because of the signs that he had. Some believe, but they wouldn't, in just a few paragraphs before that, they wouldn't confess it for fear of being cast out of the synagogue. So they believed in part. And, and John keeps mentioning this kind of believing that's not quite believing. It's not believing for the whole thing. And now Jesus says, I came, the scope of my mission is the whole world to save the world. You know, we can ask about this. I think it's a fair question at this point. Well, if Jesus came to save the world, then, and that was 2,000 years ago, why is it so dark? I mean, where were you in World War II? Uh, in Auschwitz and well, Jesus, where were you during all the plagues? And why, why haven't you helped the children that suffer on, on the earth? And Well, objections can come pretty easily and quickly, and I think in some ways it's fair. If Jesus has this power, then why is my world so bad? Why is it so dark? But even that question, I think, is part of the answer. Why do you define it as dark? Why do you define it as evil? I mean, do you believe in sin? And if if those things are true, you're already on the right road. You're already going the right direction. Because you don't have a sense of sin from evolution. I mean... You don't have a sense of right and wrong from evolution. That's just survival of the fittest, you know. But if there's a God and there's a such thing as sin and evil and darkness, then it does make sense to ask the question, well, Jesus, where have you been for 2,000 years? If you said you came to save the world. And I think what largely is, is going on there as Jesus is painting the picture, there's still between light and darkness. The world is dark. I've come to save you from that darkness. I've come to bring the world out of darkness. And you know what? He does it one life at a time. (laughs) He's doing it for you and me and a million others. You know, I'm, I'm always shocked when someone says the the largest religion in the world is Christianity. Now, that gets defined, you know. I'm not altogether in agreement with how they define that, okay? But what Jesus did in John chapter 12 has been spreading on the planet for 2,000 years. There's many people who believe that there are more believers right now in China than there are in America. I don't say that to be against America. I say that because there's a great awakening that happened in China. Remember 1985 is when it opened up, and that's when they said, when the missionaries left, they thought there was about 10 million believers in China. And when it opened up, they started saying, we think there was 80 million people in the church in China. Everybody said, well, 
I guess the missionaries needed to leave. <laughs> and people kept coming to Christ under communism. And that's even continued to this day. Now, uh, why did I share that? I got a little off track. But the fact that this, this light is saving the world one life at a time. He's bringing people to himself. And when we ask the question, well, Jesus, where were you when all these terrible things happened in my life or in the life of other generations? He's been here going a life at a time and bringing light and hope and a, a life that's above the ordinary to millions and millions of people. In John chapter 1, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Praise God. He's not, no, nothing has overcome the unstoppable movement of Jesus' life that he's offering to us. A life that's out of ordinary. It's transcendent. It's above how you would no, normally know life. Well, the ultimate darkness, in some sense, Jesus was about to face. In John chapter 12, I think there's a line in the sand. People, you need to be believing. In John chapter 13, he spends now these 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, talking to his disciples, and then he gets arrested, beaten, and killed. And he, in a sense, faced the ultimate darkness. On the cross, when the world grew dark, And one said, who witnessed that, surely this man is the son of God. They couldn't believe what he would say, even as he hung on the cross. His glory was still coming through somehow, even as he was suffering and dying. You can't stop Jesus and his life that he's offering to the world. Well, Jesus' relationship to the Father makes him reliable for eternal life. That's how that whole section ends there. And he talks there about the Father and his commandments. And he's saying what the Father has told him. And they understood in the book of John that that were words that made him equal with God. And so he, he, he's describing a life that's transcendent, it's personal, and it's eternal. It's transcendent, and it's above the ordinary. It's personal with God himself, and it's eternal in its nature and his hope. And he says, believe in me. That's it. Believe in me. And there's the line in the sand, ultimate authority, ultimate issue. Eternal life. Life with Christ and God now and on into eternity. He claims, he claims to give you life transcendent now and forever. And he can do it. Believe in me. The issue is perhaps this. Am I believing in Christ for all that he wants to be for me. Let me say it again. The issue is perhaps for you. Am I believing in Christ for all that he wants to be 
for me, for you. He's more than a doctrinal statement. He's more than a statement of truth. He's one who wants to give you life, eternal, and a relationship with God, a life above the ordinary. Can I believe him for all that he wants to be for me? The apostles there on that final night were listening to Jesus. And what's amazing to me is John chapter 17 there, where he starts to pray. It's this long, relatively long prayer that's recorded of Christ. And all that he prays, and it reveals his values. And the values that we would have if we believe him and and we seek him. And it all begins, again, with believing and crossing that line. And that believing, Jesus compares it to, in John chapter 3, being born again. You believe you're born again into a whole new order of life. It's crossing the line into a whole new way. Now, so for some of us, that's of many experiences. And, and uh, I had a guy in college share Christ with me, and I said, well, it looks great, but I can't do it. And so he was doing the four spiritual laws. He started all over again. <laughs> we did the whole thing again. And I said, it looks good, but I can't do it. I can't live that. I know I won't live up. To, I know what I like to do, and it's not going to be. I'd have to give up those things. I don't think I have the power to do that. And he said something to me. You know, this was such an innocent Simple thing to say. He said, well, if you believe that God cares for you, don't you believe he could give you power to change your life? And you know, that was the question. That was the operative question for me. And I said, well, you mean he would do that? (laughs) Well, who would want that? Well, sure, I want that. And that's what helped me cross the line, the line in the sand, to believe fully upon who Christ wanted to be for me. Let me invite you as I close in prayer to to deal with that question for yourself as well. Father, as we bow before you, we see and believe that God God the Son and God the Spirit are with us in this place. And God the Spirit wants us to know and understand and is teaching us all that the Son means by believe in me. And Lord Jesus, I want to believe in all you want to be for me. My Lord, my Savior, my teacher, my companion, my help, and my hope. And believing, God, that you would give power to cross the line to believe and to come to Christ with great hope and perhaps refreshment today, to believe with refreshment in all that you want to be for me, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.